0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you.
1: So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said,
0: Here I am, my son. And Isaac said,
1: Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said,
0: God will provide for himself the lamb for, the, for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together.
1: And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the offer And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered, and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son.
0: So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Title of this message this morning is, Got Faith? Question mark. I wish I had a little carton of milk that I could just set here for you. Some of you remember the old catchphrase, got milk, right? Kind of a focus on are, are you drinking healthy, are you doing the right things, uh, putting the right things in your body to, to develop and foster a good, healthy body? And, and I'd suggest the same thing with got faith, because uh, without faith, we, we have nothing, If we have faith and it is increasing, good things will come. This is speaking to our spiritual health, our spiritual health focus uh, and and faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And Here in our text this morning, we're going to see a man who we've been talking about for weeks now, Abraham. And I, I, was, I was thinking the, the last time I got to preach was in Genesis, concluding uh, Genesis chapter 19. And Pastor Mark was gone that week and left me with a, a fun passage to preach about uh, uh, two daughters and incest with a dad. Right? Sounds like the passage that everybody wants to preach. Right? And so it, it seems as though somehow I don't get the, the better passages. Right? Right? <laughs> Right? Well, if that was your thought, it wasn't mine, mind you, okay? But if that was your thought, look at the title and the text that we have today, okay? It doesn't get any more straightforward, it doesn't get any more popular, really, than this one, right? We've, we've probably all heard about Abraham and Isaac, all right? You put those two names together, and the first thing that comes to your mind is a dad who is asked to go and sacrifice his son, Right? Right? Hopefully you you, uh, appreciated having a father and a son up here reading the passage. I suggested that uh, Jeff might want to have a dagger in his hand and maybe a torch while he was reading, but that might have been going a little too far. Right, Josiah? Slightly? Okay. But as we go through this passage, by way of uh, just kind of introduction and kind of setting the stage and getting us kind of up to speed here for those that may not have been here or missed a, a message here or there. I'd like to recount some of what Pastor Mark has already preached to set the stage for us this morning. Uh, The the first, let me give you my propositional statement like any good preacher, right? We're gonna be looking at five practices that we must adopt to live a life of Abraham-like faith. All right? And the very first one is to expect God's trials. All right, to expect the tests. If you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, You should be expecting some trials or testing in your life. And if we look back over Genesis, we see that God has been testing Abraham in a number of different ways. If we look at chapter 11, verse 27 through uh, chapter 12, verse 5, we see that Abraham undergoes a family test. A family test, which this one he passed when he had to leave his loved ones and step out by faith to go into a new land. All right. Some of us, we remember this part in the text, right? Good. Pastor Mark said yes. I expect him to say yes. He preached it, all right? All right. This moved on. And then uh, God gave a famine test, chapter 12 through uh, the beginning of chapter 13. And Abraham unfortunately failed this particular test, didn't he? Because he doubted God and went down to Egypt for help. Continuing on, we see a fellowship test which he passed when he gave Lot first choice in using the pasture lands. He passed the fight test when he defeated the kings. He passed the fortune test in chapter 14 when he said no to Sodom's wealth. Later on, he failed another test when the fatherhood test came along in chapter 16 when Sarah got impatient with God and suggested that Abraham have a child with Hagar instead. As we know, Abraham and Sarah were getting older and older. And the older you get, ladies, the the less likely you think it's going to be that you're going to have children. all right. And we know from the age that Sarah was, she was well beyond the logical childbearing years, wasn't she? And yet God is still saying, I'm going to make a great nation, and it's going to be through Sarah, through Abraham, there's going to be a child. And man, I'm not a lady, and I can only imagine, like, if you're like Sarah's age and somebody's telling you you're going to conceive how do you react to that? Right? There's there's chuckles going on out there. It's exactly what she did. She laughed, right? She laughed at this and unfortunately caused them to fail the fatherhood test. But then we move on in a couple of weeks ago we were in the beginnings of chapter 21 and, and in the conclusion we see that Abraham passed the farewell test. Even though it broke his heart to let him go, Abraham sent Ishmael away in obedience to God. So we heard read for us verses 1 through 2. After these things, verse 1, God tested Abraham. So after all of this stuff that he has gone through, God is still testing his faith. And you might sit there and think, okay, hasn't he gone through enough testing? Right? When, when do you get to the spot where you've passed all the tests and you've, like, arrived? Right? Does that ever happen? Does that ever happen in life? Right? You, you think it does because uh, students, teenagers, you're thinking, I just got to get to that senior year, right, and graduate. Then I have arrived. Then, then, then I'm an adult and everything's peachy after that. Right? Adults. Right? It's it's easy, smooth sailing after that. No. Right? We should always be learning. We should always be expecting these tests and trials because in our faith, just like our knowledge in school, we, we continue to learn things and then we need to be tested to see how well we've accumulated the information, whether it's really sunk in or not. So we get tested. We get quizzed, and then we pass, and then we move on to the next thing. And then we learn, and we learn, and then that learning is tested. The same is true of our faith. God tests our faith. So how do we respond uh, to God when testing of our faith comes? How do you respond? I know how some of us respond. I know how I respond sometimes. Anybody here want to identify with me and my vulnerability when I tell you that sometimes I say, Why God? Why me? Why now? Why this? Why that? What does the testing even look like in our lives? Well, it's different for each person because my faith in Jesus Christ is maybe different than the faith in where you're at in your walk with Jesus Christ. You may have been a follower of Jesus Christ for 60 years. I'm not even 60 yet. So surely your faith is stronger than mine, possibly. Or you've certainly been tested more than than my faith, maybe, that's not nearly as seasoned. But one thing we need to be careful of when we look at this testing, we need to be careful to recognize the difference between trials and temptation. Temptation comes from our desires within us. Trials come from the Lord who has a special purpose to fulfill. Consider James chapter 1 where he writes this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, temptations are used by the devil to bring out the worst in us. Can you identify Right? Can, can you think of those moments in your life when those temptations come out and, and you see maybe 2020 hindsight, you recognize this? Just, just what that brings out in your heart and in your life, it brings out the worst, which is exactly what the devil is hoping for. But trials, on the other hand, are used by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best in us. Think about that the next time a trial comes that the Lord is trying to use to sharpen you to test your faith, to, to determine whether or not we're truly sold out for God, if we're really relying on him or we are relying on someone or something else. Temptations seem logical at the time, while trials seem unreasonable. Why would God give Abraham a son and then ask Abraham to kill him? Let's think about that logically. That doesn't make sense right? The promise that God has made to bring forth the seed, to bring Isaac, to make a great nation, all of these things. And so God, why would you be asking me then to kill him? The second practice we must adopt to living a life that has Abraham-like faith is we need to adopt God's promises. We need to adopt those promises and live by those. Too often, when these trials come in our life, we want more information. How many of you like to ask questions? Okay, a lot of liars in the room, or your arms are broken, all right? Many of us, we like to ask questions. When something is said, when you're giving an imperative or an instruction, right, inevitably, we're going to have a question. We want it explained further. I want to understand certain things about it before I go ahead and jump in or to determine how far I want to jump in. Speaking of jumping in, how many of you are the type that go to the poolside or the water and you do one of these things? Right? Right? You don't want to just jump in. Why? You want more information. Is it hot or is it cold? And then that will help me to determine if I'm going to get wet. Abraham is not the type here that is checking the temperature of the water. God said, and so he jumped in. He adopts the promises. He knows. He's holding firmly to the promise that God made. Back in Genesis chapter 12, one or two, you can read it for yourself there, right? He made a promise. This is what I am going to do for you, Abraham. I am going to make you into a great nation. I am going to bless you. Furthermore, he said how he was going to do this through a child through, that Sarah was going to birth. This is a promise from the Lord. Verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of the young men uh, with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, arose, went to the place in which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. Right? So God tells him what to do. He does not start back with questions. All right? Abraham didn't ask questions. He was like, wait, what? come again? What what was that? You want, you want me to do what? But, but you, you said, I mean, and then, then Isaac and he, but if he's dead, you see the wheels spinning in the brain when God's giving you something to, to do and, and you want to understand it better rather than just obey? This is a test of faith if ever there was one, Right? Warren Wiersbe said this, Our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, do what seems unreasonable, and expect what seems impossible. Sometimes we wish the test could be easier, right? Have we ever prayed for God to make it easier? Have we ever prayed, God, you're asking too much of me? God, your test is too too difficult. Right? Now we've probably been in the classroom and felt that way, in part because we didn't study for the test. Right? You're hoping that they grade on a curve, something of those of, of that nature. God is testing his faith in a way that I cannot imagine. How is God testing your faith? What is God asking and expecting from you? What's your posture right now? Are you waiting for him to explain himself? Or are you clinging tight to his promises? God has given us so many promises, and if you're holding a Bible in your hands right now, you're holding on to all of them, right? He has revealed to us about himself. He has revealed to us his great promise. Promises right here. Let me just throw out a couple of them that that I'm sure all of us know. Promises like this from Deuteronomy 31. I will never leave you or forsake you. You know that one. Good. Promises like I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am there you may be also. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be No one will snatch them out of my hand. These are promises. And there are so many more. And I encourage you to get in God's word and discover them for yourself. You will be stronger for it. You will be stronger for it. Why send trials at all, though? What is the purpose? We already kind of touched on this a little bit. Maybe God is sending a specific trial into your life to purify your faith. We see that in First Peter, right? Maybe he wants to purify your faith and, and make it stronger, make it cleaner. Maybe it's to perfect your character. Yeah, that's right. I went there. Your character needs some improvement. So does mine. No amen. <laughs> right? We need improvement. Our character needs improvement. Why? We still struggle with the sin nature, folks. We need improvement. Or even, maybe a trial has come into your life to protect you from sin. Maybe this is is a part of your life because it is growing you stronger to protect you from some sin that you otherwise might engage in later. The very fact that we ask the question, why are you sending trials into my life, God, could suggest that we don't know ourselves very well. We don't know ourselves the way that we should, and it might even suggest that we don't know God the way that we should. Yes, God is a loving God, but, but God is also a refining God. He is refining us. Making us better, making us more and better disciples, making us stronger Making us more effective for his ministry that he has for us to do. Verse 5, Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I am, and the boy will go over there and worship. And then I stopped. Now I'm going to come to the next part. Talk about adopting God's promises. As he was talking to these men, these young men, and taking Isaac and going up the Mount Moriah to to find the spot where he's going to sacrifice his son, what did he say to to the guys when he left? I and the boy will come again to you. We're coming back. We'll be right back. We will be right back. What did God ask of Abraham? Go sacrifice your son on an altar. I don't know about you, but when I think sacrifice, that means something's going to be killed, dead. And yet, the faith that Abraham has here in God and in his very promise knows as he's going through this, God is some way, somehow, in his divine way, going to make it so that Isaac is still alive. Whether I go up there and I slay him on the altar and his blood spills all over and then he resurrects him, or some other means, God is going to fulfill His promises, so I can go and do exactly what He told me to do. So, guys, we'll be right back. Hmm. There was no. We'll wait and see. We'll see what happens. All right, you guys know what happens later. Okay, Abraham's not walking up thinking, "Huh, I wonder if there'll be a ram stuck in a thicket." Abraham obeyed God immediately and without hesitation. I wish I could say the same about myself. That I obey God every single time immediately without hesitation. But he's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. There's a childhood song I remember. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and what? Patient Patient he must be. And he needs to be patient. He's working with me. he's still working on us faith doesn't demand explanation, faith rather rests on the promises Abraham did all of this and had every intention to follow through without knowing where, when, how or why God would provide but he believed and knew without a shadow of a doubt God's going to provide because God's not going to contradict himself He's not going to tell me one thing and then go and break that and do something else. Because if he does, then he's not really God. Number three. Accept God's provision. We need to rely on God's provision as Abraham does here. Verses 6 through 14. As we go down through it. Verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Right? His son naturally is like, okay, we're supposed to go do a sacrifice, uh, Dad, and I see that we've got wood, I see you got fire, and you got a dagger, you got a knife. Um, where's the lamb? Did you forget something, Daddy? Into which Abraham, and I don't know if he really thought how prophetic. This statement was to his son, but Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Furthermore, we get down to verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh. God provides. Hebrew has Yahweh Yireh. The word Yireh means literally "see." So you can read this: that uh, at this uh, place, the Lord will see to it. Right? The Lord will provide. The Lord is going to see to what needs to be done. He's going to take care of it. Abraham depends on God to work out the details. Some of us we like the details. We like to figure out all of the hows, the whys, the whens, the the wheres. We like to do all the administration. But when it comes to our, our life in Jesus Christ, our spiritual life, our faith, we need to rest on his promises and leave the details to God. You see, Abraham couldn't rely on his own feelings. He's relied on himself before, and he failed a couple of tests. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know it? Right? So relying on our own heart, on our own self, on our own talent, on our own ingenuity, on our own whatever, our own is sinful. Right? So starting there is a non-starter. Right? It's a fail. Abraham relied on God. He depend, he couldn't depend on other people. Other people could not do what God was asking him to do. This was a test and a task for Abraham alone. But he could rely on God to provide, and he did. You and I, we have Christ's resurrection power available to us today. As we yield to the Holy Spirit, we know the power of his resurrection. As we face the daily demands and trials of life, when the situation appears to be hopeless, we need to remember and ask ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, is anything too hard for God? Answer, no. Nothing is too hard for God. But then also we need to remind ourselves of this very familiar passage in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through who? Christ who gives me strength. So this provision, we need to accept the provision from God because it's, it's going to happen where God wants it to. And so you might want to know the the where, when, why, how, so let me give it to you. And it's going to be a little bit more elementary than you think. Where does God provide for our needs? Answer, where he chooses. Doesn't that just sound like a good father or mother answer to their child when they ask you a question? right? Where he chooses. See, Abraham was in the right place. He was in the right place. Remember, he said that I'm going to go to, or God said, go to, to uh, the land of, of where Mount Moriah is, and then I will show you where. Right? And so he followed instructions. He did what he was supposed to do. He went where he was supposed to so that when he was in the right place, God provided. Even in his own heart, he got to the right place. His son is on the altar. He's getting ready to, to give the death blow. He is now in the right place, the right posture if you will, for God to provide. And what is he here? Abraham, Abraham. Okay, not just one time but twice. I wanted to make sure that he got his attention, right? So, God sees his faith completely in him. And so he provides. When does God provide? Well, when the time is right. Right? God's timing is perfect. We can try our own timing. Our timing is flawed. My timing is imperfect. But God's timing is absolute and perfect. How does God provide? Quite oftenly it's naturally Right? We didn't see here that the clouds parted, and here come a, a slew of angels with a whole flock of flying sheep, and then drops them right down there and says, Take your choice, pick from, from this flock, and sacrifice one of these. It was not some big, huge, divine oh, moments, all right? It was, I see your faith. Abraham, look over there. In the thicket is the ram who's got his horns stuck. There's your provision. Gave him the provision, put it in a place where Abraham could easily reach it. Abraham did not have to stress or, or strain for God's provision. To whom does God provide? Those who trust and obey his instructions. Trust and obey. There is no other way. right? Trust in God. Obey his commandments. Why does God provide? For his honor and glory. God was glorified on Mount Moriah because Abraham and Isaac did the will of God and glorified Jesus Christ. Which leads us to number four, to anticipate God's blessings. Verses, 20, uh, verses 15 through 24. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, And have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, Buz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazel, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, Bore Teba, Gaham, Tehash, and Maacah. Anticipate God's blessings. We see there in verses 16, 17. He said, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely what? Bless you. Now he's already done this. He's already given the blessing in Genesis chapter 12, but now it's taken on some more weight. It has a little bit more meaning for Abraham now that he has gone through this test. C.H. Spurgeon used to say that the promises of God never shine brighter than in the furnace of affliction. When we live in and we follow the will of God, then we pass the test and receive God's rewards. We need to be in the center of God's will. It's the safest place to be, after all, right? In the center of God's will. God also gave Isaac to Abraham. And Abraham gave Isaac right back to God. Abraham didn't let the gift take the place of the giver. You see, he recognized that all good things come from the Father and are ultimately his. What you and I have had What you and I have and what we will possess in the future is all a gift from God. And we are simply stewards of it. Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission, used to hang in his home a plaque. And on that plaque it had two Hebrew words on it. One was was Ebenezer and the other was Jehovah Jireh. And so when he would look at this, he would see these words, uh, which means, uh, uh, Ebenezer, whether he looked back, excuse me, hither hath the Lord helped us, hither hath the Lord helped us, and Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, will see to it. So as he's looking at this, whether he's looking back in his life or forward in his life, Hudson Taylor knew that the Lord was at work and that he had nothing to fear. So think about that. Wherever you are at in your life right now, whatever you've got going on, you can look back to your past and you know that God was at work. You can see him at work clearly in your twenty twenty hindsight, right? And we can know that looking forward, God will provide. He's going to be there. He's going to answer us in his time. But he is going to answer us. He is going to be faithful to his promises. So whether behind or forward, we can be blessed and know that God is there. Amen. And lastly, as we consider all of this, the fifth practice that we need to adopt to live a life of Abraham like faith is to edify God only. In times of testing, it's easy to think only about our needs and our burdens. Instead, we should be focused on bringing glory to Christ Himself. We find ourselves asking, How can I get out of this? Right? We don't like to be in this. Sometimes you're thinking, okay, there's a pop quiz going on. How can I get out of this? All of a sudden, I don't feel very good. I got a tummy ache. You been there? right? How can I get out of this? Instead, we should be thinking, what can I get out of this that will honor and glorify the Lord? God, what are you trying to do in my life right now? How, what, what, I'm, I need to figure out the testing here so that I can pass and give you the honor and the glory. I don't want to fail this test. We sometimes waste our sufferings by neglecting or ignoring the opportunities to reveal Christ. Because what we may not understand or recognize in the midst of our trials is that there are other people watching, aren't there? Other people are watching you. Other people are seeing struggles that you might be going through. The trials that you're being asked to endure. And they're watching. And you know what? You have an opportunity to encourage their faith with yours. Because how you react and respond to whatever trials you're going through right now, other people see and can be encouraged as well. Because they recognize the God that you're giving all praise and honor and glory to through this struggle. Abraham gave an initial obedience and faith when he left with Isaac. God gave the command and he shows initial obedience and faith when he got right up and he took Isaac and they went on. Abraham exercised con, uh, continuous obedience and faith when he left the young men and the donkey and ascended Mount Moriah with Isaac. You know, it took about three days for this journey. That's an eternity to, to start thinking through and questioning what God would ask for you to do. But he exercised continuous obe- obedience and faith and continued moving forward in the way that God would have for him. And ultimately, ultimate obedience and faith when Isaac agreed to the plan and they built the altar. And you're like, wait a minute. It doesn't say anywhere in here that Isaac was told what the plan was and said, oh yeah, dad, great idea. Let's do that. Right? No, I'm thinking through this logically as you're looking at the text here. Okay? Think about it. Abraham is old. Right? Right? Now, I'm not going to pick on anybody that may or may not be old here and bring them up front and challenge them to a foot race with someone like Luke. Okay? We're we're not going to do that. But I think you get the picture. I think Isaac is a little quicker than daddy. So when he's asking the question, okay, you got the stuff. Where's the lamb? He gone. Right? No. No. He had to submit to God's authority as well. He had to respect the authority of his Father and the authority of God in that moment. He had to agree to this situation. See, it took both the Father and the Son acting together here. The true unity of Father and Son right here demonstrates in part the perfect unity of the Trinity in the atonement of sin for mankind. God did it all for the reconciliation of sinners. God sent Jesus to be that substitutionary lamb. Because, newsflash, who deserves to be on that altar for your sin? You. Ouch, Pastor, that hurt. Don't step on my toes. I'm not. God is. Take it up with Him. Right? We deserve that altar. We deserve to be the lamb slain on the altar for our sins, but praise the Lord. Praise God that he brought Jesus Christ to be that final substitutionary lamb for mankind, to die on the cross for your sin and for mine. See, sin demands our very life, but God provided Jesus. Let me close by reading this passage. And endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, at God's time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God... Romans 5, very familiar passage. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Christian, that's why you're here this morning, I hope. To give praise and honor and glory to the one who sent Jesus to the cross so that way we could be reconciled, brought back together in fellowship with him. And if that's you, then I encourage you to really focus in on your faith. How strong is your faith? Do you have an Abraham-like faith? Will you hear God's commands and you will jump all in without testing the water first? The other group that might be here tonight or to this morning are those that don't know Jesus. You've not experienced this, this reconciliation, which means unfortunately right now you are the one who will die. For your sin. But you don't need to. Because Jesus already did. And all we need to do is confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And scripture promises. God promises. You will be saved. Right here and now. You want to know when God will provide? He will provide right now. Where? Right here. You just need to call on his name. And be saved. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this text that you have given to us, this familiar story that points us ultimately to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. God, I thank you for the evaluation that can take place in the Christian's heart as we evaluate our own faith how strong of a faith we truly have, or if we're a Christian that, that hears from you and then seeks more information. Because we seem like we want and need more. And if we need more, more proof, then I question whether or not we have faith in the first place. God, I pray that we can rest on your faithfulness, the promises within Scripture which you have proven time and time again to fulfill. Father, I pray for each and every individual that is here that for those that know you, they will increase their faith. And for those that don't know you, they will begin their faith. Right here and right now as you provide. Father, it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.